0: Good morning, and happy Lord's Day. It's great, as Brother Justin said, to see your smiling faces here this morning. It is truly a privilege to assemble as brothers and sisters in Christ, to share a fellowship, to gather around the Lord's table on this special day that he's appointed for us to do that, uh, to share the blessings of study we We seek to honor our Heavenly Father this morning, recognizing the sovereignty of His will and the authority of His Word. And again, we thank you for being a part of our service here this morning. When you woke up this morning, um, I hope one of the things that you thought about was, I want to know more about Jesus today. And if I turn this on, maybe this will cooperate. And maybe it won't. <laughs> there. <laughs> I hope you want to know more about Jesus. I hope that's something that, that is uh, hopefully a constant in our life as we seek to know more about our Lord, to grow closer to his will in the lives that we live. And as you those of you who have been here consistently over the past several months, uh, we've been doing this series of studies about more about Jesus. Um, I kind of wanted, I want to start this morning, If I'll turn this the right direction, ah, it's not going to, it's not going to work, sorry. Um, I want to start with a verse we found in 1 Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verse 17, the Apostle Peter says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So what is he talking about? The time that we have on this earth, the lives that we have to live upon this earth. He said, spend that time here in fear. And this, this isn't a, a, a fear of people, this isn't a fear of circumstance, this is a godly fear, a fear of our Heavenly Father the, that we love and that we know loves us, but the respect and honor for His will and, and the, that the person of our Father. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your Father's. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So I've highlighted that part of the verse here that says he was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to emphasize as we've gone through these studies as that the story of the Bible is the story of Christ, and that is from the beginning to the end. And we recognize that before God said, Let there be light, He had already foreordained the way that He would redeem man. He already had foreseen that we would have a need for redemption and had made provision for that in His plan for Jesus Christ. come to the world. And throughout the Old Testament, as we've gone through these studies, we've looked at several I'm gonna give up on that. Several scriptures that tell us there are over three hundred prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And again the theme is the same from beginning to end as it pointed toward the time that Jesus would arrive in this world. We find all the way back in Genesis that he would be the seed of a woman, or this referred to the fact that he would be born of a virgin that he would be a descendant of both Abraham and of David. And we've talked about the significance of that, that he would be God with us, that Jesus is God with us, that he would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Brother Ian spoke to us last week from Isaiah chapter 53, and the the picture that we see there of the sacrifice that Christ would make for us, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, and bruised for our iniquities, that he would heal us through his stripes, then that he would be given a kingdom and glory and dominion. All of these things, among with about 290-something others, were a steady drumbeat throughout the Old Testament that pointed to the time that Jesus would be born. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his for, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and this is comforting to me. And I hope I love this. I love this verse of Scripture because it tells us that in God's perfect timing, His will will be revealed and His promises will be fulfilled. God has always fulfilled His promises, and that is something that is very comforting in the Scriptures to see through the ages of time, that as, as these prophecies were made, that God was always making preparation for their fulfillment. And then we see them fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> as we've been going through these studies, we've talked about that the, the personal ministry of Jesus was about a period of about three and a half years. You think about the life of Jesus and all that he accomplished, and it was in that very short period of time. His life on this earth was approximately 33 years, Um, but again, we talk about that the way we look at the timing of Jesus's personal ministry is by the occurrences of the Passover in the book of John. That is really the only timeline that gives us this period of time, because John speaks to us of three specific occurrences of the Passover. He also speaks of a fourth uh, great feast day, which we which which we assume, or I say we, most Bible Bible scholars assume was also an occurrence of the Passover. So, but we we look at the period between those Passovers as the years uh, in Jesus's personal ministry. During this series of studies, we've covered again the fullness of time. We've talked about that at, from the end of the Old Testament, the last words that were written. Back in the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there's a period of about 400 years where there was no prophecy from God. And we call that the years of silence, but that God during that time was preparing the world for the arrival of Jesus. And then we talked about how that silence was broken um, at the time that it was revealed to Zacharias, that he, he and his wife who were Beyond the ages of childbearing, we're going to have a son, and his name was going to be John, and he was going to come. He was going to be in the spirit of Elijah. He was going to be the forerunner of the Christ. And so we we, we covered that as well as the uh, the announcement to Mary and the beginnings uh, of Jesus' life here. And then we see uh, that the Word was made flesh. That was our, our second in this series. And we talked about the birth of Christ and the events around the birth of Jesus. And then we talked about the early life of Christ. And specifically, we looked at the visit of the Magi during that period of time. Uh, then we began the personal ministry of Christ, beginning at his baptism. And we, we talked about those early six months, the, the, the periods before that first occurrence of the Passover. And then we looked at the specific ways that Jesus was tempt- tempted and how he overcame those temptations each time by saying, it is written, it is written. And how that God had provided his word through all of that time and preserved it so that his son could answer the temptations of Satan by saying, it is written, by quoting the words of God from the scripture. The same way that we can overcome temptation today is by knowing and resting in God's word and and knowing what is written. We talked about in the first full year of Jesus's ministry between the first and second Passover, we talked about do you believe in miracles and we talked about all the miracles as Jesus went about in his personal ministry and teaching and performing miracles and how his fame went abroad and people recognized that this was an ordinary person and the power of of God that was displayed in Jesus and then we talked about the last time the second full year between the second and third Passovers uh, about building your house upon the rock and specifically, we talked about the words of Jesus and what Jesus said about his words and the importance of those words in our lives. And so, I want to pick up today, and we want to talk about uh, the next period of time—that that last full year leading up to the time that Jesus, the time of Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. So that that last full year. Jesus's personal ministry and I want to know just some events I I think it's part of this um, study was to try to look at things in chronological order the the Gospels don't always put things in chronological order but I think it's interesting to try to do that to see when the events that we read about when they occurred in the personal ministry of Jesus and as Jesus begins this final year before he's going to the cross It's it's important to note that throughout Jesus's ministry, that looming on the horizon has always been the cross. That Jesus knew the purpose for which he had come. And he knew what would be the end of his work here. And he was always preparing for that and preparing his disciples for that. But as that time grows closer, Jesus's preparation for his apostles and for his disciples for that event And for the responsibilities that they would take on following that event, he is is preparing them. He is teaching them and and preparing them for that time. So some of the events, though, that we see in this last year was the feeding of the 5,000, when Jesus fed the 5,000, and the event when he fed the 4,000. We're going to talk a little bit uh, today in Matthew chapter 16. There we see the great confession of Peter. Again, Jesus, through this time, is preparing his disciples for the cross. During this period of time, we see the transfiguration. Um, We see the event when Jesus heals 10 lepers. Jesus healed a lot of people throughout his ministry. I think it's just interesting again, and this is just one example of of something that happened. And again, this is toward the end of Jesus's ministry. Uh, The final feast of tabernacles, we covered this sometime back in the book of John. You know, that's what's interesting about the scriptures in the gospels. Um, that approximately a third of the writings of the Gospels cover the final week of Jesus's life here, and that's 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 pretty obviously some very important things going on. The Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus's last attendance of the Feast of Tabernacles, was six months before Calvary, so six months before the final Passover. During this period intervening between those two events, we see the sending out of the 70, the limited commission. So that, again, this is something that happens late in the personal ministry of Jesus. The parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, something that we all know very well. And again, we haven't pointed, we're just touching on the things that happened this last year. We, we could be here all day certainly trying to list all of those things. The raising of Lazarus happened, as we know, uh, very near the time. That Jesus went to Jerusalem for the last time and then we and of course the final journey to Jerusalem and the events that would take place there at the Passover. So just for a few minutes I want to I want to talk about specifically the events that we read about in Matthew chapter 16. I thank John for the reading this morning. I'm going to start a little bit before where John started back in verse 13, and it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, I didn't put a map in here, but if you wanted to know where Caesarea Philippi was, it would be in the northern end of Palestine, so north of the Sea of Galilee, north of of Capernaum and a lot of the uh, ministry of Jesus that we saw that took place in that area of Galilee. So this is up even further north of there. And Jesus asked his disciples a question. So again, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and performing miracles for, all, for about a period of about three years. This is approximately eight months estimate between, before Jesus will go to the cross. And so as he's got his disciples there, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Because there was a lot of speculation, and we've seen it throughout the scriptures. You know, one of the interesting things to me is, any time that Jesus cast out a demon, those demons recognized Jesus, and they called him Son of David. They recognized him as God's Messiah. They recognized him as the Son of God. But most human beings did not. And when we look at the miracles, the things that Jesus did, we would go, how could, how could people, if they were looking for the Messiah, if they were looking for the Christ, and they saw the things that Jesus did, why would they not acknowledge or, or, or believe that Jesus was him, that Jesus was the Messiah? We saw the, the woman at the well in Samaria, she recognized this has got to be the Messiah just because he told her events in her life that he could could not possibly know unless he was God. But those who witnessed these miracles and understand that all the time that Jesus was working here and going about his ministry, he had an adversary. The same adversary that you and I face today, Oh, Satan was out there doing his best to keep people from believing who Jesus was and from knowing and acknowledging who Jesus was. And he did that through his minions, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, who did their best to keep people and to dissuade people from believing in Jesus, from believing that he was the Son of God. They would not accept it. They didn't want anyone else to accept it. And so Jesus asked his apostles who have been out there among the people and have talked to them and have have heard what people are saying, and Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Who do people think that I am? And they answered and said, Some say that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been put to death not long before this. <clears throat> some think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some think that you're Elijah. Or, some think that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, it's interesting to see this because all of these were great men, great prophets of God who had performed miraculous things in the past, and through whom God had spoken in the past. And so they, they saw the things that Jesus did, and they recognized that he was some great person. But what they didn't recognize, that he was the greatest of persons, that he indeed was the Christ. And again, you see the influence of the enemy in men's hearts to keep people from believing. But then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And then it becomes personal, doesn't it? So Jesus asks his apostles the same question that every human being who walks this earth has to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. (sighs) What a breath of fresh air. What a rejoicing moment. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was music to Jesus' ears, that his apostles recognized him for who he was. Not only that he was the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed of God, but he indeed was the Son of God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. How did God reveal Jesus to Peter? Do you remember when, when Peter first encountered Jesus? It was, it was very, very early on in his ministry, and that he followed Jesus up to Galilee and then he went back to fishing again. And Jesus was out there preaching, there was a large crowd that gathered. Peter and his his and his brother Andrew and James and John they had been out fishing all night their profession were they were fishermen they had caught nothing there was a discouraging night and they were out there cleaning their nets and Jesus comes by and there's a people a lot of people following him and Jesus is preaching and as they're as Jesus is teaching the people they're cleaning their nets and they're hearing the the sermon that Jesus is teaching although the scripture doesn't tell us what it was because. That's not what was most important here. <clears throat> but as the crowd grows, c- presses him closer to the, sh- to the water, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, I'm going to get in your boat. I'm going to cast out a little bit here so I can speak to the people from the boat. And so they went out, and he preached. And when the sermon was done, he told Peter, he said, Peter, I want you to go out a little bit deeper, and I want you to cast your gnat out to catch some fish. And Peter goes, <laughs> <laughs> we've been fishing all night. We've been fishing all night. Lord, this isn't the right time to fish. This isn't the place to fish. He didn't say all that, but I'm just imagining that may be what Peter was thinking because he said, Lord, we've, we've been fishing all night. We had not caught anything. Nevertheless, at your word, I will do this. So he goes out, he casts the net, and about, by the time the net hits the water, it's full of fish. It's got so many fish, he can't get it in the boat. And he calls for James and John on the shore. And so they scramble out and they're all trying to get these fish. And in this time, Peter recognizes something. This is no ordinary man. What is God revealing to Peter? He says, Peter falls to his knees, and he says, Lord, I'm, not, you, you, I'm a sinful man. You don't need to be on my boat. I'm not worthy to be here. And Jesus said, Peter, I've got something for you to do. He says, I'm gonna, I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I've got something important for you to do. And for three years, Peter has been following Jesus and witnessing everything that Jesus has done and witnessing the teaching that Jesus has given about the kingdom of God. And you know what Peter has learned from that? What he declares here. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, He had revealed it through the words of Jesus. He had revealed it through the life of Jesus, through the works of Jesus. How does God reveal Jesus to you and me today? The same way, through the witness of his word, through the witnesses of those who walked with him. We are given the words of Jesus. We are given the picture of the life of Jesus. We are given the evidence of the fulfillment of the prophecies Of God in Jesus so that we too through that witness can say I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God that we can make that confession ourselves and Jesus went on to say and I also say to you Peter that on this rock I will build my church on this rock on this confession that you have made that I believe that you are the Christ the son of the living God That that will be the foundation of the church for those called out churches, those called out by Christ, those who believe that he is the Son of God. And he says, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against him. Nothing is going to prevent me establishing my church. What's interesting about this verse, too, is this is the first time that we see the word church introduced. So not only is God... Not only is Jesus teaching them something about what is to come, what Jesus is going to establish, but the nature of his kingdom that he has been preaching about for this three years. And he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The words here infer that whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been bound in heaven. Will have been loosed in heaven. Peter wasn't wasn't the one creating those things that would be bound and loosed. Those things came from heaven, and he, that's the things that they would speak. That's the things that he and the apostles would speak, as this this authority would be given to them also regarding speaking those things that were bound and loosed in heaven. But he says to Peter, "I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to come. We're going to talk about that in just in a little bit." But but remember what what Jesus told Peter. What do you do with keys? You open something. You open something. Jesus, Peter's going to to be privileged to be the one to open, open the, the doors to the kingdom of heaven. And we'll talk about that later. But from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day again the time is drawing near up to this point in time Jesus has talked about the events of the cross in very veiled terms but as the time is drawing near and as he needs to prepare his apostles and his disciples for what is to come he speaks to them very plainly and he tells them or he prepares them for that reality and what exactly is going to happen and you know we've been studying Again, if you've been with us on on Wednesday nights when studying the book of John, we've been covering these events. From the time Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, when when he meets in the upper room with his apostles, when he establishes the Lord's Supper, when he teaches them these final teachings that are so important as Jesus approaches the time that he's going to go to the cross. And then there's the walk to Gethsemane. There's the walk to Gethsemane, and there's the anguish that we see Jesus going through there. Again, on the horizon for all the time that Jesus has walked this earth, the cross is looming there. And Jesus knows what awaits him. And Jesus knows that this is the will of the Father and that he has come to do. But he also knows, you know, I don't think there's any way for us to even imagine the torture that Jesus went through. But Jesus knew beforehand (laughs) the torture that he was going to go through. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we see the arrest in the garden. We see the time that we see Jesus brought before the high priests. We see him tried before the Sanhedrin in the mock trial. We see him brought before Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate, then the scourging, then being mocked by the soldiers, then being the cross being laid on him to be led to Calvary and the crucifixion. We've looked at all of those events, and Jesus is telling his disciples, this is eight months before these things are going to happen. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. This is the same Peter who just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. God, you, God has revealed this to you. And uh, you need to understand there are some things that are fixing to happen. There are some events that are going to, the ball is going to start rolling. And these are the things that are going to happen. And Peter hears this and Peter's going, that can't be. No, that can't be. Why? Because you see in Peter's mind and the rest of the apostles, when they looked for the Messiah, which they recognized that Jesus was, they thought he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. They thought he was going to sit on an earthly throne, the throne of David. He was going to reestablish the glory of Israel. He was going to repel the Romans. This is what they looked for. And all of a sudden, Jesus is telling them, I'm fixing to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to put me to death. And Peter's going, no, no, no. Wait, that can't be. That can't be. That can't happen. In fact, he takes Jesus aside, and he's, Lord, Jesus, no, no, you can't, this can't happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He turns to Peter, he says, Get behind me, Satan, you're an offense to me, for you're not, you're not mindful of the things that be of God, but of the things that be of men. Peter, you've got a good heart, but you don't understand, you're, you're thinking in terms of, of men's wisdom. You're not, you're not understanding God's wisdom. You're not understanding God's plan. You would deter me from doing that which I have come to do, that which must be done. You look back at the previous verse, what did Jesus say? These things must happen. They must happen. Why? for the redemption of humankind. For God's plan of redemption, these things must happen. <clears throat> Peter, get behind me. He didn't say get away from me. He said get behind me. Get, get back in your place, Peter. <laughs> You're not the leader. You're the follower. You need to get behind and you need to listen and you need to learn and you need to follow. <clears throat> And then Jesus said to his disciples, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according." to their works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In these few verses, Jesus has declared the gospel, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He's, He's told them about the establishment of his kingdom. He's declared his second coming. You see all these prophecies that Jesus puts in these few verses as he declares these things to the apostles and to us. The final judgment that is to come. And the expectations of those who would follow him, those who would be saved. And so to, to conclude this morning, I just want to talk a few minutes about what Jesus expects of us. Jesus was going to go to the cross. Jesus was going to redeem mankind What are his expectations of those who will follow him? Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The first thing we want to notice is that Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, why do we desire to follow Jesus? Do you desire to follow Jesus? Why do you desire to follow Jesus? If you desire to follow Jesus, it's because like Peter You believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. If you desire to follow Jesus, it is because you believe he is who he said he was. And you recognize that you need him. Peter says in 1 Peter 10, 25, For you were all like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We need a shepherd. Jesus said he is the good shepherd. The, the scripture says it is not within man who walks to direct his steps. What does that tell us? We're not our own compass. If we are, we're going to get lost. If we're depending on our wisdom, our knowledge, the knowledge of the world, the wisdom of the world, we are going to be lost. But if you seek the wisdom of God, then you recognize your need for Jesus. You recognize your need for, a, for a, someone to guide, for, for someone who is the shepherd, the great shepherd. David said in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is my provider. I know that he will provide. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He provides for me. He gives me peace and comfort to my soul. He restores my soul. The Lord restores my soul. Just a a touch of the verses that we could talk about our need for the shepherd. I need Jesus. If we desire to follow Jesus, we recognize that we need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need his leading and his guidance. I need his love and his forgiveness. I need his healing. I need the purpose that he gives to my life. And I need to know his presence with me always. If I desire to follow Jesus, it's because I believe he is the son of God and I recognize my need for him. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial, not my will, but yours. Jesus gave us the greatest example of self-denial at Gethsemane. and This was pointed out to me not too long ago, something we probably recognize, maybe don't always think about. But before Jesus went to Calvary, he had to go through Gethsemane. Franklin talked about Gethsemane extensively a few weeks back and did a great job. But you know, the thing about Gethsemane, as we talked about earlier, is that Jesus always knew that the cross was there. And the moment had come and the apprehension about what he was going to go through, the final test of Jesus was Gethsemane. As he prayed to the Father three times, if there's any other way, let this pass for me. Nevertheless, not as, as I will, but as you will. And each time Jesus ended his prayer with that, not my will, but yours be done. Before the victory was won at Calvary, the victory was won at Gethsemane. And it's the same for you and me. Before we can pick up our cross and follow Jesus, we must first deny ourselves. And we must declare not my will, but your will be done in me. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And I've added daily, because Luke says daily, and follow me. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, people didn't wear crosses on a necklace or on a ring, or they didn't put put crosses on their walls, because the cross was a symbol of death. The cross was a symbol of shame and humiliation and being accursed from God. But before the world began, God chose the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. And that is true for us. Jesus chose to go to the cross. No one took his life from him. He tells us he laid down his life and he chose the nails. And each day we have to take up our cross because it is something that we choose A lot of times we talk about the crosses that we bear and a lot of times we refer to things that are beyond our control that are a part of our lives that we must bear. You know, the Apostle Paul had something like that too and he said it was a thorn in his flesh and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you but that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about taking up our cross daily. This is something that we choose to do that we could otherwise avoid. When Jesus says that we have to take up our cross daily, it's making that choice every day to deny myself, to say not my will but yours, and to go about in the service of God doing things we know will cause us ridicule. Knowing things that that these are things that may cause us suffering, but we choose to do them because it is the will of the Father. That we will be true to God in his will regardless of... What it brings upon us. You know, this reminds me of the account of Moses we read in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, to enjoy, did them to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And what does that say? That says Moses chose. Moses could have lived his life in luxury and pleasures in the palace of Pharaoh. But when Moses came of age and recognized he had a choice of serving God or serving himself and serving man, he chose God. And it says, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sins, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward." We have to make the choice each day. To carry bear our cross is making the choice. Like Jesus chose to go to the cross, we also choose to pick up our cross and carry it each day. To take our, up our cross means to suffer willingly Who Christ, for Christ who suffered willingly for us. We look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. (sighs) Jesus saw beyond. He saw beyond the suffering. He saw beyond the humiliation. He saw beyond the torture, the joy that was set before him, fulfilling the will of the Father and redeeming me and you, making a way for us to be made whole and restored and re restored to our Heavenly Father, to be reconciled to Him, to have forgiveness. Matthew 5, 11, and 12 says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going you're gonna to be treated like me. There's going to be times you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You may even be put to death. And the, for the apostles, that was true. But he said, but see beyond that. You have great reward. Be exceedingly glad. In fact, the, early, the apostles early on, they were beaten for tea, preaching the gospel. And what did they say? They were, they were joyful that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. To take up our cross is to die to self, to live for Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Man, wouldn't that be great to be able to say that? (sighs) That that it's no longer me who lives in this body, it's Christ. I've, I've completely given myself to him and to his will. In fact, it is his will that is performed in my life each day. Which I now live in the flesh. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow Jesus, the example of his life, the words of his teachings. All of these things should be the fulfillment of our lives as we go about. And we say, well, that's not easy. (laughs) No, it's not. And what about when we fail? Jesus said, don't quit. Jesus' forgiveness, his blood that was shed for us is, provides perpetual cleaning, as, as the scripture tells us, as we walk in faith. As we walk in faith in him, that he provides continual cleansing for us. Because Jesus wants to perfect us. He doesn't want us to become discouraged when we fail. He wants us to get back up and to keep going. And to, to not lay that cross down because I failed, but to pick it back up and keep going. Follow me, Jesus said. In conclusion, we talked early on about the fact that Jesus told Peter that he gave to him the keys to the kingdom. Following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven, he told his apostles to stay in Jerusalem until they received that power from on high. And on the day of Pentecost, they received that power. And Peter stood up when the crowd came around, which was drawn by the sound of the rushing mighty wind, That we read about there, and he preached the first gospel sermon. He told them that Jesus was the Christ, the chosen of God, and that they had crucified him. And they said, What shall we do? And Jesus used the key. I mean, Peter used the keys and he said, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is to you, to your children, to all that are far off, even so many as the Lord our God shall call. That same promise is available to you and to me this morning. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you've never obeyed him in baptism, if you would do that this morning, if we can assist you with that, or if we can assist you in prayers, we invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.